This is CliffCentral.com. Here's a powerful thing. I mean, it's got a lot of firepower. If you can figure out a way to wrestle that fear, to push you from behind rather than stand in front of you, that's very powerful. Multiplying leadership, moving society, the millennial way. You don't want to end up going after goals and dreams and neglect yourself. Welcome to the Youth Leadership Platform with your host, Bongani Dao. Take control. Take control of your city. This is the instrument of your liberation. See, old friend, I brought more soldiers than you did. Identify yourselves to the world. There are leaders and there are those who lead. Leaders hold a position of power or influence. Those who lead inspire us. The truth, you see, is always revealed, eventually. The stories that follow are of those individuals and organizations that naturally embody this pattern. They are the ones that start with why. The goal was ambitious. Public interest was high. Experts were eager to contribute. Money was readily available. Armed with every ingredient for success, Samuel Pierpont Langley set out in the early 1900s to be the first man to pilot an airplane. Highly regarded, he was a senior officer at the Smithsonian Institution. A mathematics professor who also had worked at Harvard, his friends included some of the most powerful men in government and business, including Andrew Carnegie and Alexander Graham Bell. Langley was given $50,000 from the War Department to fund his project, a tremendous amount of money for the time. He pulled together the best minds of the day with the team he had gathered and ample resources his success was guaranteed, or was it? A few hundred miles away, Wilbur and Orville Wright were working on their own flying machine. Their passion to fly was so intense that it inspired the enthusiasm and commitment of a dedicated group in their hometown of Dayton, Ohio. There was no funding for the venture, no government grants, no high-level connections. Not a single person on the team had an advanced degree or even a college education, not even Wilbur or Orville. But the team banded together in a humble bicycle shop and made their vision real. On December 17, 1903, a small group witnessed a man take flight for the first time. The Republic of South Africa faces numerous socio-economic problems emanating from its British colonial and Afrikaner um, apartheid rule and its current problems relating to mass unemployment and poor service delivery. The government of the African National Congress post-1994 has formulated and adopted numerous policies, plans and institutions to try and rectify the problems associated with the poor economic development in South Africa. One of the key initiatives and policy positions adopted by the South African government to achieve economic development in local um, economic development at the level of local government. While the LED, uh, as shall be explained in the following chapters, 
of this study is not a new concept. It is a challenging concept and outcome to achieve for the most of municipal authorities and government policymakers. Therefore, this study will not solely focus on and repeat previous studies' understanding of the LED. Rather, the key focus will be on how small, medium, and micro-sized enterprises were used in LED planning of the government. The need to explore the LED and SMME development is informed by the under-researched first generation of the growth and development strategies that were instituted by the Gauteng Provincial Government and Sidibing District Municipality. The Gauteng Government uh, instituted the Gauteng Growth and Development Strategy and Sidibing District and the Sidibing, Sidibing Growth and Development Strategy. Yet, the SGDS1 never lasted. It's never lasted its intended time period and the Sidibing local municipalities quickly instituted the SDGs um, second generation without analyzing or detailing the LED and SMME development failures and successes that emanated from the SGDS1. This study therefore explores the state of LED and SMME development in the region of Sidibeng and provides new knowledge to the field of the LED and SMME development through the creation of a new LED and SMME model called the Adaptive Systems Theory Model with complexity from LED and SMME development in the Sidibeng region. This model represents contribution to new knowledge in the field of LED and SMME development for government policymaking institutions through factoring in new ideas concerning the existence of complexity in economic dev development planning for local government entities. In addition to this is a process, it processes a new singular institution for administering LED in the Sidibeng region primarily and South Africa more generally for all future LED endeavors by government. Welcome to the Youth Leadership Platform. You are chilling with your host, Bongani Tao. And today, um, as you just heard from Simon Sinek, the importance of intrinsically understanding problems for better ways or, 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 or better ideas formulated on informed um, background and social um, and understanding of social science to create solutions to problems that um, are informed by the society in which those problems exist. Um, joining us today is a social science um, professor um, who is uh, Dr. Kahiso TK Boy. Welcome to the Youth Leadership Platform. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mr. Ta. Awesome. Uh, so I just read your, your, your abstract and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, are wondering what the heck is happening on youth leadership platform today. <laughs> so before we get into your thesis and, and, and actually discuss, uh, the objects of, um, today's meeting or today's interview, I'd like to, for, for, for our listeners to get to know you. So where do you come from and, 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 and where do you grow, where did you grow up? Oh, uh, thanks for having me again. I come from uh, an area in the Val called Everton, 
which okay. is uh, one of the second, if not the third oldest township in uh, South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, son of uh, Mama, Papa, Hangle <laughs> Masesi Poe, uh, my parents, uh, grew up mostly in the Val, went to school in the Val, Broadlands. Yes. Uh, for a while, I came to Joburg and then went back to General Smuts. Okay. And that's where I matriculated, also got to live in Australia for quite a bit. Interesting. Uh, studied in Natal. For a long time. What 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 was the um, excursion to Australia for? It was to do part of my grade eleven and twelve. Uh, oh. I was one of those rotary kids. Interesting. Uh, my parents, uh, especially my daddy, always said, "Listen, uh, one of the things I, at least I want for my kids is the ability just to go outside, understand that there's a bigger world than South Africa." Because in the nineties, he got to at least travel to the state yeah. on a on a few business trips, and he says, "Listen, it opens your mind, and that's one of the things you always wanted for us just to be able to go do that." And uh, that's how I ended up in Australia and in a place called Dubbo, which is the outback. Basically, they're farmlands in New South Wales. A very interesting place, Australia. Very, It was nice, a bit like South Africa, just sure, sure. Uh, a bit more aggressive. They're very aggressive people, uh, but they're mostly like South Africans. And <laughs> <laughs> always tell people the difference. It's like South Africa, but certain things work. That's oh, really okay. the biggest difference between Australia. Yeah? Hmm. And yeah, then I just matriculated, went to Varsity Natal. Spent a long time there, a very, very long time. (laughs) What were you studying there? I was studying, it was political science and management. So it was uh, some uh, some commercial subjects and uh, political science. Why? Well, I wanted to do, when I was, uh, I think I was growing up, I I wasn't really, I didn't actually want to go to varsity. I wanted to go work in the oil fields in Saudi Arabia. Interesting. (laughs) Then my parents are like, no, that's not happening. (laughs) Uh, So I said, look, what what can I study? Uh, I wasn't, I didn't like science much. We had this, I had this experience in uh, high school where I think grade 10, when you make a decision, I went for, I think for the first two months, I was in the science class. What they used to do is they used to divide it up between those that passed well, those that didn't pass well, according to your percentage. Wow. So the first few tests, I got 70s and I'm like, this is hard. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, let me leave on a high. It's always better to leave on a high. And I just went, I prefer geography instead. So I always enjoyed geography. I always enjoyed history. And I was like, you know, those are the types of subjects I've always wanted to do. And political science offers you that. You learn a lot about history, location. And uh, I was like, okay, well, how, what degree puts this all in together? And sure. it turns out it was a, a social science degree in political science. And uh, I enjoyed a bit of commerce, like how institutions work, what sure. makes things actually become excellent. And that's where the management part comes in. And that's what I started. But I left it at honors. I went to rather do public policy, which is basically – when you make things work on paper, what sure. do you think about? How what's the science behind that? And I did that for my honors and masters, and uh, yeah, then which I, has basically informed basically uh, your studies uh, going from there, and what eventually led to what you decided to focus yeah. on as your your thesis for your PhD. No, I think that that's exactly it. Basically, it's been a build up to saying if you were to ask me what is my interest in education, I always say, my dad always says, "Look, uh, to lead is to serve." So sure, the key thing sure. is to say. How, I'm not a, I wish I was an actuary. I'd make a heck of a lot more money if I was an actuary. But the key thing would, for me is just simply this, that I want to know, listen, the, the closest thing to me is government. Because yeah. government, whether you're a big fan or small or, or little government, it's not really the issue. But the point is to say, if government works for people, and people, I always say people that are, that are not able to, let's say, due to our historical circumstances, able to look after themselves, I think it just makes countries work. If you, even if you look at America, even though they might deny it, what made America really become a powerhouse is the fact that government works sure and there's always this thing my, my i think one of my teachers always said is if you actually look at the, the role of institutions if you were to ask people how many how many civil servants do you think it took to actually run the british colonial 
the whole British colonial empire. Mm-hmm. Give me a number. I'd say maybe 200 or 1,000. I, I don't know. Yeah. So remember, I'm saying it stretched from America all the way to Australia. Oh, okay, okay. Um, quite a lot then. Sheesh. I, I can't think of, 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 of the number, number you mentioned. In England itself, it was less than 200 people. No ways. That's how, that's the, okay, as I said, the complexity of it. That's the beauty of institutions. If you have the right amount of people, if you have the right people, they can run an empire. Hmm. So that to me has always been a thing of how do you get institutions to work? Now, sure, in, sure. Our, in our situation, I come from, uh, being coming from the township, you kind of see firsthand mm-hmm. when things don't work. Yes. Uh, protests are right there because mm-hmm. the VAL at the time, it was a whole IFP, ANC thing. Sure. Later on, we got to see that, no, listen, things are not as though they were promised to us. And the nice thing about the VAL is probably one of the last places where you find the Pan-Africanist Congress of Azania, basically the PAC. Sure. And sure. the big thing has always been we as Africans, we're not asking to take things. We, we can, we, we believe we've got the ability to do everything. And so it's always been that's, that's, that's my influence to say, I know I can make change happen mm-hmm. and I know institutions can make it happen. So this PhD and what you're speaking about simply is just simply asked the question of saying, we know our people or people in general have got the ability, innate ability to make commerce happen. What's really missing is an issue to say, we as government or as government, why, why can't we just relay the right platform for people to, to, to do what they are excellent at? Sure. And that's the whole basis of my PhD to say, listen, local economy, how do you get people who own businesses in the township for a long time? My dad is a form. He's part of those NAFCOC people, basically guys who run businesses during apartheid. Sure. Sure. My dad always told me, listen, it's not like we needed the NC to give us anything. What we really wanted was for them to give us space to do business. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, uh, one of our friends, Rutsani Blauti, he's, uh, I think he's the CEO of, uh, uh, one of these uh, tech companies always says, listen, every individual innately is a capitalist. Mm. We all know how to make and want to make money. Sure, sure. The only thing is space. And just speaking with people, it's like I always tell people, it's great to have a degree, but people know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. My job is just to say, how do I open your mind to know what you're doing? And that basically is the whole PhD in a nutshell to say, listen, how do we get people that are running their businesses to speak to government to say, this is what we need. You don't have to come in. Don't come in and tell us what to do. Let us do what we're doing. Just make sure the infrastructure is there. Make sure that uh, when it comes to issues of funding, which you have, you're able to do, which you can't get from a normal, your big five banks. Mm-hmm. Just come in and give us that. And that's what people want to do when they run a business. Interesting. Uh, so let's, let's break down your, your, your thesis. Uh, firstly, firstly, let's, let's, let's dwell a bit on, on, on your, your, your initial argument and, and as well break down what you are hoping to achieve off the back of this. Uh, the argument is simply this, that uh, there's always been policies and institutions looking at the local develop, local economic development. Local mm-hmm. economic development is just a theory which says where commerce is happening, normally when we look at commerce in South Africa, you hear the news as we talk about the JSE, we talk about the blue chip company. Sure. It says now break that down into a local unit, mm-hmm. which is to say whichever area you come from, look at the business people and how they work. Sure. That is local economic development. Now, it's one of the big things that's happening around the world. As you will know, most of the commerce in the world is now heading towards municipalities. Sure. We no longer look at the countries or the big states as uh, where commerce happens. It's a bit of an issue saying, if you're in the city of Joburg, the city of Joburg is one of the biggest revenue generators of the fact that they've got a lot of these commercial companies. Mm-hmm. Now, th- don't think of Joburg. Think about places where they don't have the JEC companies. Like in my area, we have your former, used to be ISCO, now it's called Metal Steel. Mm-hmm. And there's a few factories and a few manufacturing plants there. Sure. That's the basis of our local economic development, right? So my argument is this. We've been doing this for close to 20 years, but in my area, unemployment is going high. Mm-hmm. So the government's premises, if we read the constitution, is 
commerce at local economic development at, at the local level is supposed to be led by municipalities. Sure. They're the ones where you pay your rates and taxes to. They're the ones that basically will give you special permission if you want to run a factory. Mm-hmm. But this has not been working for the last 20 years. Unemployment clearly spells it out. Sure. So my argument to say, listen, why have we actually not looked at what's happened in the last 20 years? Where have we actually got this wrong? And when I was looking at it, there's actually the, the government has got very poor science around it. Mm-hmm. That is to say, if you were to ask government for stats for, let's say, every municipality in terms of commerce, what's the GDP, what's the, what, what are the key industry, you'll get a hodgepodge. They'll <laughs> give you some, yeah, yes, it's <laughs> happening, but there's no science to tell you an exact number. Sure. So my argument is simply this. Let's actually make this more scientific. Okay. Let's actually put, let's say, feeders on the ground. That's what my study was about. I went to go speak to people who are running businesses. I spoke to government. And I said, listen. This is what you as government believe you have. Mm-hmm. This is what people that are actually running businesses have. Sure. Where's the middle ground, basically? And that's local economic development. And one of the, in the model, one, one of the things I look at, one of the cities I look at is Massachusetts. Sure. People know Harvard, people know MIT. What a lot of South Africans would not get about that is that they're actually all very close to one another. And that's a whole municipality. So the whole Boston area says, listen, the big revenue generator for us is our big universities, right? Mm, but mm, what they do in mm, the States differently, mm. then they'll get companies, your bells and everything comes in and says, listen, well, rather than you going to go pay some other university, some huge fee to get research done, use our area. Sure. So just there's a generating commerce within the local area. And that's the model. And when I was looking at the Val, that's what a lot of institutions. You have Northwest University where I work. We've got Val University and a lot of teacher colleges. Mm-hmm. And that's an industry that can basically get you into the future because mm-hmm. manufacturing has declined. Yes. And we don't know how we're going to get it back up, but it can never go back to the glory days. So my study was just basically, and my argument is basically, in us knowing and making this more scientific, we can now be able to say, in the next 20 years, sure. when we do local economic development, based on the stats and the data we now have, mm-hmm. this is how now we plot into the future to say, this is how commerce is going to go. Meaning, it is possible, like in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh in America used to be a steel country. Sure. Now Pittsburgh is one of becoming one of these IT booming areas. Mm-hmm. So it's possible in the next 20 years to say, listen, in the Val, in Cebu Game, because we've got universities, because we've got young people who've just basically ideas team off when it comes to IT, Maybe that's going to be what makes the vial turn around. Mm-hmm. So that's basically my argument in a nutshell. Interesting. So now getting getting further in, in, in into into the argument itself, let's first break down what what do you think ethical leadership um, is um, before we we, 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 we we get into that any further. Yeah, I think that that's that's a key thing. We also found that in as much as we can talk about the rants and cents, we have to have to ask who can actually manage our rants and cents. Sure. And that the, to me, ethical leadership is a pure understanding that to lead is to serve. Okay. Uh, especially if you work in the public sector, and I also will touch on the private sector a bit. But the point is to say, uh, I got to work in the city bank municipality, and one of the things you, you get to see is well, you're basically a custodian of taxpayers' money. But there's a poor understanding of what we mean by ethics. Uh, one of the guys I work with, Marius Ustays and Gibbs, he always makes the example when he speaks to business leaders and he asks them, you know, just to prod them a bit, he always asks the question, um, you guys, what makes you angry? And naturally, you know, business people, you know, the government, they're forever taking X and Y. They're, f- they're forever taking X and Y. And then you ask them, okay, but what's wrong with that? Sure. No, but they're stealing. And he's like, okay, beyond that? No, no, but what's beyond that? They're taking our money. And then he says, listen, what you've given me is a commercial argument. Sure. You've not touched on the ethics. None of you guys have said it's morally You're wrong. You're talking about legal. Yeah. Aspects of, 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 of the conversation, yes. yes. And, and that's what more ethical leadership is to me is the fact where you actually can go beyond saying stealing. You can actually say, listen, what I'm doing 
at an ethical level, as in a me and you level, it is causing great harm to you and you being the society. And so for me, it's an understanding that, listen, I'm not just, if I'm, let's say, I'm working in the public sector and I'm not doing my job, I'm not arriving on time. I've got the ability to understand that what I'm doing is wrong. And it's going to harm someone down the road. Now, unfortunately, the, it seems to be that a lot of the people who work in the public sector, the ones I got to at least work with, they believe that money kind of their salary insulates them from that. Because okay. like, oh, well, listen, just because I've, I've taken something that doesn't belong to me, it doesn't harm me. I'm on a private medical aid. But then when you actually look down the line, say, but listen, doesn't your grandmother live in a rural area? Isn't it experiencing the same problems mm-hmm. we're experiencing? Does that not hurt your mother? Mm-hmm. And so it's just getting people to think different, to say everything which you do has got an ethical implication, especially if you're in a, a position of privilege. And, sure. and I think to have employment in South Africa and to work for the public sector is a position of privilege. Mm-hmm. And if you cannot see that, if you're not giving of your best, because it's not simply you taking the rands and cents, it's you saying, listen, work starts at 7.45, but I'll decide to rock up at 10 o'clock. Sure. It, 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 it's just really getting it wrong. And a key example of this is, I'm not sure if you know in Japan, they're very good. We all know Japanese people are good at science and maths. Sure. But what I've been, what I learned recently is before they even get you to maths and science, the Japanese and the education system stresses character. Hmm. So for the first, for the formative years of a child, it's character. It's politeness. You know, things which you don't quite think about, but we always say Ubuntu, but there's always an argument. My wife always says, <laughs> yeah, Ubuntu, not in this day and age. Eh? <laughs> but it's like the, that's what the Japanese and the Asian system is about. Hence, sure. they're great at service delivery. Yes. Hence, you'll see them at the hotel. Yes. I, I got to spend time in uh, Qatar. And I always tell people, we if you're a South African who's complaining about, let's say, people, foreign nationals, you know, Coming illegally, I have to just stress the illegally and, and basically in, to use what is common phrase, taking our jobs. If you went to Southeast Asia, the, the work ethic is scary. Hmm. I'm talking about people who've left the Philippines to go work in Qatar. They only go home once or twice a year. Hmm. They work shifts and I'm talking 13 to 14 hour shift hmm. and they are machines. So lack of a better word. Sure. So, sure. but it's, it's a, it's an ethical thing to say that what I give you, the service I give you, it's t- that's my ethic. Yes. That, that says the value I, I, I place on myself as an individual is the work I give you. So that's, that's ethical leadership. So to be able to say, listen, what I give you at the end, did I really give of my best? Mm-hmm. And in giving of my best, did I take? Cause it's a, it's a, it goes back to sums. What I give plus what I take, it doesn't add up. You should always give more than what you take. So I think that's the issue for me, the ethical leadership. If it's put in a nutshell, it's when you give something at the end, the end product you give. If we had to put it by what you've taken, which is your salary and maybe other things, how does it add up? Mm, and mm, I think, mm. unfortunately, when it comes to the public sector and even the private sector, as we're learning now with the whole Steinhoff thing, is yes. we are very poor at ethical leadership. We're great yes. at speaking rands and cents. That's why people, when you say the Auditor General, five billion is missing, it doesn't resonate with me and you. Sure. But tell me that there's a pothole. People like now, now understand this is wrong. <laughs> this is wrong. So that's ethical leadership. Interesting. So thinking about it, um, this way if uh do do you think that we have problems such as these because a lot of emphasis is placed on intellectual property it's placed on getting a degree getting a form of education and that education itself not even focused on the problems that exist within the african context or are not afrocentric um such that we find people in leadership that might have the qualifications, but from an ethical point of view, they have no sense of understanding and, and, and by so 
saying and by so doing, it, it, it's, it, it manifests in the kind of decisions that they make. I think it's partially it. And I think we have to just break down what we mean by education. Because sure. I think there, there's a big hoo-ha about, uh, okay, and I always have to say this to my funders. I'm one of those people, I, I'm, I'm thankful for having an education. I've got those degrees. They're very, very nice. Sure. But there's what's called innate ability. Because uh, okay. some of us, I mean, my mom has a, has a degree. My dad has a degree. So it, it's great. Sure. But what the things they taught me are not things which uh, go hand in hand with a degree. Sure. It, it's things which we, you know, uh, that it, like the, the ability to have a good work ethic. Hmm. That, that's not something a degree can teach you. Sure. Because it could just be that the God has just placed you the great brain. Because I've had friends who just <laughs> happen, they just happen to stand the lecture for 12 minutes. They get it. Sure, sure. So, sure. It, so that is really doesn't speak much to you. So it, it speaks, I think what we're missing is the ability to understand what's education for. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say it's to serve. That's why, that's why for me, yes, a lot of our leaders have got some degree or some formal qualifications. Sure. But it's you, I think they basically went to the varsity. They went to whatever institutions, but they never asked the question, what is this thing for? Beyond me just going to a graduation ceremony and people urinating, what is this for? And I think the for is what's missing in education. Because hmm. you can go throughout your whole life, get a PhD, be that very brilliant shining star that people speak about. But when we actually look at what is your contribution with this PhD, we're going to find that, no, man, this the greatest thing this person ever did was that it's, it's hung in the office. It says Dr. So-and-so. Yes. But it's not an issue of saying, okay, now that I've got this degree, what do I do with it? Mm-hmm. How do I take the theories which are in there? And what always, uh, I always tell my students is when you read about theories, actually look at what they're doing. One of the, uh, the people we know a lot of is Marx. Sure. Marx's biggest thing, and, and I have to give, I'm not a Marxist or a socialist, <laughs> but his biggest thing was I want to be able to create something that people can think about. Okay. Now Marx is dead. Sure. But in 2018, we still mention Marx. Yes. Why is it? Because that was his biggest passion, right? Mm-hmm. He he thought about it. He actually became poor just thinking about it and working from it. He didn't get to see people become socialists or Marxists, right? Mm-hmm. But it was his burning vision. Same thing with you look at the founders of the ANC. One of the ones I like is Dr. Pixi Kaseme. Sure. During at the height of British colonialism and coming into apartheid before the 1913, this is a guy from the rural areas. Gets a scholarship to go study in Columbia in America, mm. the same university Barack Obama went to. Sure. From there, he gets to go to study in Oxford. Mm. Now, the times are colonialism and apartheid, right? <laughs> but he can be excellent in that time. Yeah. And yes, he comes back to South Africa. He's not, he even beats white lawyers in the courts. So that says to me, here's somebody who understands the purpose of this education is to help my people. Okay. In the same way, if maybe you're getting a commerce degree, the purpose is not for you to be a, a CA and go work at PW. No, the purpose is to say, after you do your articles and everything, what do you do with this thing? And I think our education system is very poor at translating it. That's why the Americans beat us with degrees hands down. Because when I, when I was at the University of, Te- of Texas, one of the things that just shocked me is the student. They're like, so I'm like, okay, look, you're going to get your political science degree and, and you're going to go work, work. No, yeah. no, no. He said, no. He looked at me disdainfully like, why would I go work for government? <laughs> I'm going to go work for myself. Wow. Because th- that's the what's for. So they sure, say, sure. this is just to clearly show that to t- basically train your mind to think in a logical, scientific way. Hmm. Take the science of what your degree is, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and then ask the question. Now, some of us, my dad's an entrepreneur, and I think being an entrepreneur is hard. I, so it, I, very hard. I, I prefer the Especially office. Especially in South Africa, with <laughs> politics yeah. such yeah. as these. Yes. So for me, an office, but the thing is, what am I doing in my office? Right? Yes. But for certain people, the question we never get to is, maybe it's not for you to go work for a PwC or, or basically an EY. It's to say, 
go start up your own company. Hmm. And I think that's the whole, the South African education system is missing that, the what for question. And that's hmm. where we hmm. fail. And that's where people then start to over glamorize the title. Like, oh no, he's a professor. He's a doctor. No, it doesn't. For me, I respect it. It's great, but it doesn't mean anything for me unless I hear what is it for? Yes. So that's for me is the, that the conundrum we have is that with what institutions, they're producing X amount of people, but the what for is not coming through. So before we talk about the what for, let's, let's talk about lessons from, from, from failure, which is, is a, I, I guess a, a concept that you focus a lot on to, to bring about a lot of principles that have helped you to lead your life in, in, in the way that you do and look at leadership the way you look at it. What are some of the fundamental um, lessons that you've learned from failing in, in life in during the PhD? <laughs> Sometimes the thesis being turned down um, and, and, and different things um, like that during your university life and your life at large. One is that it, failure is part and parcel of the world. Okay. Uh, I think we, we, at the NHIS awards, we, you know, one of the things we spoke about is the South African system, education system, it's actually rigid. Sure. We, after 12 years of your high school life, your life gets published in the newspaper, whether your number <laughs> shows it or not. Then you go to a system of a university sure. where you in or out again. Hmm. So we are very high strung people. It's always failing or Do not or failing. Do or die. Do or die. It's yes. a South African way. But then you get to a PhD level and you're told it's three to four years. And for, remember, there's no, there's a few milestones, but for the most part, you're by yourself and it's just you and your supervisor. And then you're doing work and then you get told, this is not, well, okay. And a, the kindest thing you can say, <laughs> this is not good. The worst thing they can just use a lot of words, which are like, I just want to give up. I want to go home. This is not for me. And, and, and you actually sit, you dwell in it because so it's like, okay, this is what failure actually means, you know? Sure, sure. And then obviously there's that scholarship hanging over your head mm-hmm. and this, and they also want their return on investment, of which is to go do a good in the society. Sure. So the first thing is that you learn that failure happens. It's mm-hmm. part and parcel of life. Secondly, it's, that reaction you have to failure and it's i think you know one of those batman movies talks about character building is you literally learn what what you made of because hmm. the it's very possible to actually say listen this phd thing is not for me mm-hmm. especially as you get older now you're working you're like do i really need people to tell me i'm not good mm-hmm. and you and it just it then obviously you have friends who will tell you, ah, man, but you're good. You don't really need this thing. <laughs> Why are you doing this? And it, it just hits you and it really asks, what type of person are you? Sure. So, cause character secondly, just ask, hey, is this who I am? Cause it's one thing to say, hey, you know, my name is Mr. Tao. I'm an X and I'm Y. Sure. Adversity says you're not that. Mm-hmm. Or are you that? So, yes. so that's a big thing. And then yes. thirdly, it's support systems. You know, uh, one of the big things about failing, I think, Maybe this is what kills a lot of, uh, call it geniuses and their ideas is you don't have the right support system. Mm. You know, uh, for me, the, I always tell people the great thing for me is uh, being a Christian and having Christ is a big thing. Sure, sure. Uh, my knees are quite dirty at the moment from praying, <laughs> oh God, why did I do this? Why, if you love me, why did you let me do a PhD? Why not an extra his brain? That's a, so it's a big thing. And also sure, sure. family, you know, as I said, I speak a lot about my mom and dad and also, also my wife and also friends, you know, people who, People know what you are. Sure. Because you've lived long enough to, with them to understand, oh, this is Mr. Tao. He's a man of characters. He's this. But sometimes when you're in that failure and you really are second guessing, third, if not fifth, guessing yourself, you sometimes, whether we like it or not, need, need people say, no, listen, man. my bro, you are better than this. You mm-hmm. can get over this. And, mm-hmm. uh, as I was saying, one of the people I, I spoke to at the time from NHIS is the CEO, Prof. Sarah Maswet. And she actually just said, cause I remember, well, my, in my journey, there was a road at Vitz where it wasn't going well. Sure. And she just said, listen, 
There's always possibilities. You can do well. She didn't materially change the situation that I'm failing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same thing. A family or friends, that, the, but it's the words. The fact that someone can say, I believe in you that much that I know I know you and I know you can do well. Mm. So those are the three things I've learned basically from fail. And I think it, go, it transcends even education it, in terms of the dreams you have. You will fail. Mm. Uh, mm. Nothing mm. has ever come easy for anyone else, you know. And uh, it, you will second, you will doubt yourself. But the issue is when those words come in, and like maybe it's a fourth point is what do you do with them? Because there's always a challenge of when you're failing and you've had all these things that come together, what do you do with it? And the easiest thing is to sometimes say, I... <laughs> uh, you know what uh, No one's ever died From not doing a PhD Or no one's ever died From not opening up a business No one's sure, ever sure. died From this Where do we go forward And uh, that's what I've learned From fail And I think now It just makes me a bit more Relaxed about it mm. And I'm not saying mm. Go fail on purpose that's, <laughs> No that's not what I'm saying But I think you just have A different attitude Towards failure To say you know what Pause Think Go back Try again You know I think this phase Of the conversation Is lessons from exile um, Where uh, to kind of put it in a, in a metaphorical sense, a lot of the leaders that became these um, idealistic stalwarts that are celebrated worldwide, most of the lessons that shaped their character, they learned them in exile, whether they were in jail or whether they were somewhere else, um, um, quarantined or otherwise. So in, in, in your depths of, I guess, in, in, in some form and in some sense, um, depression and, and failures, what are some of the lessons ne, that you learned from there that have shaped your character to what it is? And then I guess we'll, we'll build from that. Let me not ask the, the, the follow-up question um, as yet. I think it's like that the ability to be able to get up. I, I tell a story and uh, my wife doesn't like telling it, but I'll tell it anyway. <laughs> now, the nice thing about being insulated in books is that you avoid women. Because <laughs> some of us were very deeply scared. <laughs> I think I only asked my wife to be my wife while I was doing the PhD. Okay. Fear is big, hey? Sure, sure. You, you tremble a bit when you have to ask the big question. So I think it translates into that. To be able to say the ability to be able to say, like I said, to, to pause yourself. You know, okay. To, to, to pause it. I always remember, I'm not sure, for me, the GOAT, greatest of all time when it comes to sports or basketball is Michael Jordan. Of course. Now, people think the rings. People think what he's achieved. But well, there's an ad he used to run which said, you know, people see the glitz, people see the glamour. What they don't see is how many times I've failed. Mm. And and I think that's that's the ability where it took me down that road to be able to say when you actually start, like you're saying, you read about your Sulus, you read about uh, the Mandela. It's failure. Failure literally characterizes a lot of their lives. And then it says to you that maybe, just possibly, I'm in the right spot in this failure. Because mm, mm, I think mm. there's failure where you, you have made the mistake. And sure, uh, that's not sure. what we're speaking about. We're saying when you've really given your all. And then you find that, look, my all just says at the moment I'm not good. And and I think that being down that journey has really taught me that, okay, it's fine. Because the, the, now the stress comes in of saying time, mm-hmm. you know, because in our minds, we're always in a rush, in a rush, in a rush. But that pause, that ability to say, listen, I'm, I'm not dead. Mm-hmm. So as long as I'm breathing, there's a chance I'll, I'll do better. But sometimes even if, when you are in the wrong, um, I guess it's... It, it's important yeah. as well to, 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 to consider that, that, that aspect. Uh, I was looking at, uh, Tiger Woods and, uh, Nike, yeah. uh, where they came back again and they said he's done it again. They've, through everything that Tiger Woods has been through, they've, they've been there just behind the scenes for him to, I guess, at the point in time, take the heat. But, you know, w- when you look at people's characters and, and, and how it is formed, sometimes people make mistakes 
because of where they come from, because of their experiences. Some of the kids, I mean, that are slaying drugs, that are on drugs, yeah. that are doing all these different things, it's, it's, it's because of trying to cope with certain things and, and, and sometimes trying to deal with, with, with the present circumstances, but not to dwell too mm-hmm. much on that. My follow-up question to the first one was, now, having learned those principles, right, how has that shaped how you look at this qualification that you have because you, you you spoke a lot about yeah it's all good and well being a doctor and all but you know how does that impact society how does that translate into what i do into in, in, in society but fundamentally how has you know being in exile and learning those lessons shaped how you look at your qualification uh it's it's obviously it, it puts a premium on it okay uh, the fact that uh i think you value education more sure because you know what it what financially I know the cost of how much it took for my parents firstly to pay, secondly for the NHIS to vest into me. And also because I'm teaching at the moment, it also gives you maybe like that, that perspective we're talking about failure. Okay. That's I think it's a great point to say sometimes when you're in the wrong, how you get up from it is good. Sure. Now, and also in teaching students. And I always tell them that, listen, the problem is sometimes with the, with the seeing an almost like an end product, mm-hmm. like you see the lecturer. Yes, like, yes. You, you don't know the background. You don't, no, you don't know that this person has been struggling. <laughs> this person also wrote subs like you. That of course. Kind of thing. Yeah. So it's also giving me a bit of a pause to say, listen, when I'm speaking to them and especially speaking with a, with a younger generation, in my time, it was, and it sounds weird to say your, your time, but when I was coming through varsity, it was a very cold experience. Okay. It's, you're here, you study, you leave. Sure. We don't have that interaction. Later on, I started to get to know the lecturers. It helped. But it's also helping me not say, look, before you start killing students with the theories and the many high, high theories, sometimes you actually need to start 10 minutes of a lecture just saying, hey, people, this is where we are. Things are not great mark-wise. Character building. Yeah, you, you literally, like you're saying, you, you, I, I always tell the friends, like, you almost have to do a bit of motivational speaking. Of course, of course. And that that that's not something innately I knew you had to do. Mm-hmm. But you have people who come from diff- like same townships, rural, especially the rural areas, where this is the first time they literally are out of their village, seeing that oh my word, it's possible for a black guy, an African guy, to do well. Mm-hmm. It's possible for you to be a purveyor of knowledge. Sure, and it really just hits them, and that that's a lesson where maybe a bit I pause a bit more now, and I, I actually have to do the ten minutes of speaking, and because sometimes you because you, you some of us are very motivated internally. But you find that no, not everyone has it like that. So this degree, in the whole process has taught me slow, slow it down, speak to them. Mm-hmm. Even if you're going to hear very bizarre stories of why they didn't do their work, <laughs> but the point is to say, speak to the person. And I always tell those as well the story is also makes you very conscious of weakness. Mm-hmm. By weakness, as in I mean I've got a lot of uh, females in the class, right? And now I went to a boys' boarding school, so for us it's very. I think the whole point of boys boarding school is they just pump you up with a lot of confidence, right? But now you have people who've come from, I think the, I think I don't want to say traditional backgrounds because sometimes tradition is great. I'm I'm a traditionalist myself, but you come from a background where this is a lady who's never been told that, listen, in this academic environment, we're all equal. Mm -hmm. Don't, uh, you don't have to look at me as a male who has all this. No, no. In the next three or four years, you can be what I'm doing, if not better. Interesting. So you actually, like when I say weakness, by weakness, I don't mean it's an inherent bad. It's an issue of sure, saying sure. you have to be aware that because sometimes when you do things in class, I just want the hands, the, the quickest person to raise <laughs> their hands. But you have to be conscious of, oh, but listen, if I'm doing this, I'm only seeing males. 
Something is not right. Sure. So he sure. literally paused the whole class and said, "Listen, I'm not going to go until I hear a woman speak." Sure. And then you you find that okay, in them they've got the voices, and you actually find they tend to make better points. Mm. But the point is, they this process has told me that sometimes it's not it's not the rush rush of finishing in three years. Yes. It's an issue of saying pause yourself, scan the environment, find out what's happening. Mm. So it's literally made me aware of weakness because, like I said, I I will not lie. I come from a very privileged in the background. And it's when you come from privilege, there's certain things you don't think of. Mm-hmm. I went to a boys' boarding school. I just think everybody just copes like me. Sure. And you're sure. like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. So it it has made me think and pause a bit. I think be a bit more. I think emotional intelligence is a, is, okay. a, is a key word. Sure. That you're sure. a bit more emotionally attuned with what's happening around you in the classroom. You're able to listen to the silences as well. Yeah. That are that are within. I think that's a perfect. The vicinity. Word. Interesting. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> um. So f- from a, from a, from a lot. A lot of what I'm, I'm getting from our conversation is um, basically founded on what uh, Busani and, and Aweni called the colonial ethics of liberation and servant leadership. Thinking or having that as, as the backdrop of um, where we're going now for the home run, uh, what are some of the things that you feel the youth of today or everyone really um, who can effect change should be doing to one, um, help the nation build character and two, to, to kind of help, um, a lot of people as well to, to become ethical, um, serving leaders. Okay. A few, I'll just rattle the ones I, I can think of off sure. the top of my head. I think the first one is where you are, are you making a difference? Okay. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest, cause I think we, we think in macro terms in South Africa. People just think we always think about the big picture, you know that. I want to change the, the world. Twenty thirty vision type. Sure, of, yeah. sure. And and the thing, it's great. It's good to be macro, but where you are, if you have to be an, have an honest three sixty understanding, are you making a difference? Hmm. And uh, I had a, I have a mentor, a guy I, I went to church with at uh, Every Nation in Durban. He's a maritime lawyer, and he always says, "TK, had I not become a maritime lawyer, and they said my life is I'm going to be a guy who basically has to clean toilets. You know, TK, I was going to be the best toilet cleaner." Hmm. The question needs to be in whatever you're doing. Let's not put an occupation. Let's not put a, a, a let's say, a, a position of leadership to Title, it. Title, yes. What are you doing? Hmm. Now, for me, it just so happens I'm in education. Sure. So it, I always have to try to be on top of things in terms of when the student walks out. Now, my students are not my buddies at the moment because they say that's the one who fails us all the time. <laughs> but I always say I can fail you. But if you can come to me and say I've not done a good job, then I, I have to question myself. Hmm. Uh, in your, in your home, uh, look, uh, whether you're a husband, a wife, or whatever you're doing, are you being the best at what you're supposed to do? Hmm. So before you come do the gospel truth with us outside, fix yourself in your house mm, first. Mm. And secondly, in your, in your occupation. Third, what, look, time wise, we know if you live in Kauteng, time is, is a premium. You don't sure, have a lot of sure, it. Sure. But I think if, we're not all going to be able to go do charities, right? Mm-hmm. But if you can find something of a social club where you can actually make a contribution. I, 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 don't, I don't want to put a position to it, whether it's you who's serving in church, whether it's you who's running a charity, or whether it's you maybe who's just running a, a football or a rugby club. It's great. Mm-hmm. But the point is, are you doing it? Yes. And and I think the fourth thing is, and this is where I think maybe South Africans we literally are failing. And our failures are, are literally exhibited by the fact that we have people who are in positions. And I, and I use the word, they're not leaders. I never call, I never say the politicians we have are leaders. Mm. Cause it's like we just give it to them on the silver. And now they're, they're people who are in positions of leadership. Mm. Are we, you don't have to be a politician, but are you active enough in your area? This is where the, do you go to the ward meetings? If you can't go, 
and you're at least able to say, listen, we know there's that responsible person in the community. Let's support that person to represent us. Mm. And I think this is where a lot of South Africans, we, we get it wrong. Mm-hmm. We're not involved in war committees. We're not involved in the SGBs, which is school boards. Sure. Cause it's somebody else's problem. And especially for us as African people, and I think this is where we have to be harsh on ourselves. If especially, I was speaking to a friend of mine, we're playing squash on Monday. He says, his biggest problem when he goes to advocate for vernacular language, it's not white people. Mm. They're, they're fine. They're like, okay, listen, as long as you give us our Afrikaans, we're fine. Mm. He says, no, it's our people who are fighting him. It, so it's, it's an issue of saying, yeah, and, I, and that's why I'm very critical what of the- What a plight. Yeah. And I, I'm critical of the black middle class. Sure, sure. Because I think it's the worst class we've ever had. Because we don't contribute one. Yes. We're not, uh, when we're in positions of CEOship, <sighs> ah, there's no difference. We're just like anyone. We're just happy to be at the table. Hey, chief, and I'm getting mine at the end of the month. Interesting that you'd bring that point up because we, we have a lot of people that have come into positions of, of, of leadership, like mm. you said, um, on the stance that they wanted to help other people that were disenfranchised like them. But now that they have all the millions and they're swimming in all this glory and wealth, they've forgotten totally about, you know, the, the, the primary principle or primary motivation that you know, led them to actually want to be in that position of, of, of leadership, which speaks to, to another dynamic and, and another problem that we have um, as South Africans, that at a certain point in time, we knew that the enemy was of a particular race that sought to undermine us. But now there's people that look like us up there who are just concerned about themselves. What are your thoughts on that? And I think it cuts across uh, both ways because I'll, I'll use the illustration of uh, the Women's League, the NC Women's League. Sure. Uh, that a lot of women will tell you that uh, sometimes the biggest obstacle in women in the corporate sector is women. <sighs> and you're like, but it makes no sense. You've got the numbers. <laughs> it's counterproductive. It's, yes. it's counter- so it's, I think it's the same thing with us, especially when it comes to being African people that, yeah, they advocate that they advocate. But the question seems to be, there's again, there's this feeling, uh, sure, sure. The cow, there's this belief that the cow that eats alone, and it's I think it's a sickness, if not if it's a bad, very bad spirit, and I and I think that's what maybe kills our ability to to, to bring other people forth. Because you think I know, but if I bring Tao, <laughs> uh, you know, this, the, uh, he might be the one who blocks exactly. Me. And I think that, and he's pr- he, he probably will outdo me as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, that takes me. One of the mentors I had, you who passed away, was Richard Masanga, and he brought me to the municipality. Okay. He, obviously being working in a municipality, I think I was the highest qualified person there. Sure. And so he had an honors and I had a master's, but he always says something to me. He's like, Tick, I'm not afraid of you. Cause he says, I have a belief in myself that I, that I've got more work experience. He says, if anything, I'm going to use you to make me look good. Wow. And I was like, wow. And that's for me is that's the right attitude to have when you know that somebody who, cause all I had was, a, was books, not the, sure, not the sure, practical sure. side. But it was like, you have to have that vision to say, if I'm bringing Bogano, if I'm bringing uh, Melissa on board, if they're great, guess what? It makes me look great. Yes. And I think that's what is, is missing. Like we're you know, asking what I've, what I've learned and what's wrong with society is that we, we fear people that are better than us. Mm. Cause you think this person is there to bring you down and you can find all I want at the time. I just want employment. <laughs> I want to be able just to bring food on the table. That's all I that's want. That's all you care about. That's all. That's, so in your mind, I have no issue. With and, that and, and that's the difference. Uh, 
Simon Sinek uh, puts across uh, another very powerful uh, principle. He says there's leaders that play the finite, finite game and there's leaders that play the infinite game. The leaders that play the finite game, their comparison is, 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 is horizontal, mm. you know? Um, so they're looking at the person next to them. But the, the, the leaders that are playing the infinite game, they're looking ahead. They're looking at what's next. So he, he, he says um, in, in one instance, he attended a Microsoft um, one of those leadership workshops and, and things like that. And a large part of the content there was based on what is Apple doing? Mm. What products are they, are they, are they taking out? Um, what kind of features do, do those products have? But when he went to, um, same, um, kind of workshop, but at Apple, Apple was obsessed about what are we doing next? So that, 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 that difference to say, am I comparing myself? To the next person Or am I, am I You know Obsessed about Becoming a better version Of myself And doesn't that sound like Our politics and opposition hmm. What is the ANC doing Sure What has President Jacob Zuma done What's it all doing but, Sure And that's why people like But most citizens When you speak voters Will tell you Yeah I, I get Most people know What the ANC is doing We're, yes. not, we're not blind Sure but we want to know what are you doing, DA? What are you doing, EFF? Because the only gospel seems to be <laughs> what are they doing? doing? Sure. So, so I think it's the same thing when you're asking the question of how do we get, how do we get better? That's to say, listen, at a macro level, it, it's great. Have a great vision for yourself, build a company. To, but the issue is to say, how do you become a better version of where you are? Sure. That's what I'm saying. I can't, I don't know if people we're speaking to. But we have to say at a general level, the only thing you can do to be better and make this country better is what are you doing? And I tend to find when, when you're excellent at what you're doing, there's, I think there's a proverb that says, your talent will open the doors for you. It will speak, it will go before you. Mm. Your excellence will do that. Sure. I think we're so counter obsessed with not excellence that you're like, I, no, 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 what, what is she doing? Let me just look <laughs> on the side of what she's doing. And that you, you're, like you're saying, you become so obsessed with that little thing that we don't even know what you're about. And if you, tend to notice the people that do well, entrepreneurs mm-hmm. that do well, or even maybe those big time politicians we used to have, were people who are excellent in their own right. Mm. They, we all have our insecurities about, yes. am I going to be replaced? But the point is to say, if I'm excellent, like I always say, I always tell my employer that, listen, if you're going to replace me, it's great. Mm-hmm. But if the, I need to believe that this person's better than me. Because if you're better than me, I think sports is the greatest example. Whether you, you can be, at the moment, there's no one replacing Messi. Mm-mm. And when you're at that level, you're, you're comfortable, but if you notice, Messi's hungrier. Sure. So sure. it's the hunger you have for more. Sure. And I think that what we're missing, especially in South African society as a whole, from the business sector even to public sector, is that hunger to want to be better. Sure. Because we never speak of the wanting to surpass America. We're just happy, oh, South Africa, biggest economy on the continent. I'm like, but what that means jack. If it's not serving the people. It, it means nothing. Sure. For me, I want to say South Africa en route to beating being the world leader in the, in the bracket we work with. And the example is Singapore. If you speak to Singapore people, excellence. It's always about being the best, being the best. They don't have a obsession with uh, America. Mm-hmm. It's No, it's America, but we're better. Hmm. And that's what's changed in the Chinese psyche, which sure. is a former colony like sure. us. The biggest change in the Chinese mind has been, but we can be better. So that's another thing, decolonizing de- education. Hmm. Fundamentally, what, 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 where, where are we supposed to shift to in terms of our, our mental focus and, and our intellectual focus so that we can be able to achieve excellence on just comparing ourselves to ourselves instead of, you know, uh, 
other races for one in other countries. Uh, uh, this is where maybe I, the decolonial school, kind of delink a bit. Okay. Because um, my belief is is this that uh, for me to when you say we decolonial decolonizing, I I think it gets very technical and big. Sure. Simple f- thing for me to say is if you are let's say a student studying science, if you're a student studying public administration or public policy, mm-hmm. for me it's to say in the you don't change what's there. Mm-hmm. But you simply add a new feature by saying, listen, this is an updated version of it. Oh, by the way, before you had a Bill Gates or you had someone in science, there were women this in was, science. Mm. Before we had those, there were black people doing science. Mm-hmm. And then it's for us to go say the money we're taking. And, I, and I'm very big on this one is, especially with our languages, let's go invest actual money in detailing our history. Hmm. Let's actually go find out because uh, there's a, there's, I think it was Professor Velikazi, he was, he used to be at UK, a great, great academic, he passed away. He, he explains what made Shaka Zulu an extraordinary leader. Hmm. And he says that strategy of his in the military of where you start to put the, the horns around. Sure. You do know in most, uh, most military schools in the UK, Selhurst, and even in the States, they study that. Hmm. But how many South Africans actually know about it? Exactly. So we don't need a person who comes from overseas of a different complexion to tell us about our history. Interesting. We, that's, that's what means decolonial. We go write books, invest in books, the theories, the sciences of what we used to be about. Put that and we say, listen, I'm not rejecting um, what uh, the theory of thermodynamics. It's mm-hmm. real. I can't. Uh, it's real. Sure. What am I going to add to it? Sure. But I'm going to say, oh, by the way, there used to be a woman before X and Y scientist was doing that who was also looking at it. So it's just sure. about saying, let's shine the spotlight on who we were, whether it's male, female, African. Or not, uh, by African, I mean whether it's Khaled or whether it's Zulu. And let's shine the book on that so that when you give it to a child, the child can see themselves in the success of science. Wow. And that's all. that's all it is for me. Well, um, Dr. TK, unfortunately, that's all we have time for um, for today. But I think uh, this conversation and the conversation before this and the episode before are conversations that we need to have more of and, and, and kind of, you know, decode and deconstruct uh, a lot of these big um, leadership ideas um, into, you know, small fragments that uh, are digestible but what are, what what would you what would be your parting words uh to our listeners any i guess advice or any sense of inspiration or motivation from your side i think it's we are in a particular time and season right now where you are needed sure whether it's you who wants to come up with a new great business idea whether it's you who's just the pastor running the church or whether it's just you who's just going to work in and out you are needed at this moment in time and by you needed, I mean the best version of yourself. Hmm. And that's what we're missing at the moment. So when you become the best version of yourself, I think you'll become, baby, you'll become that leader South Africa needs at this moment in time. Wow. If I was listening to this show, I'd want to know how to get in contact with you or just to, to follow and, and read up on any of your theories and, and theses. So how do our, our listeners do that? I have got a Twitter thing, which my sister said, <laughs> <laughs> which my sister said on myself. It's just Kahiso Power, TK. And I just hashtag. I don't know what the words are. <laughs> Academia does these things too. Sure, but sure. if you were to go to Google, look for me on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. It's just TK Power. Or sometimes you'll find Kahiso TK Power. Okay. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. And if you just want to maybe drop me an email, it's TK full stop, my surname, which is P double O E, the number seven at gmail.com. And I'm always open for a discussion. Awesome. It is at Simply Bongani across all social media platforms. Uh, it's the youth leadership platform with uh, decolonial ethics and liberation um, and servant leadership with Dr. TK 
Bowe. Whate'er thou art, the saying goes, do well thy part. Good day and God bless. This is CliffCentral.com.